Amen. I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 31 this morning. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in uh, verse 31. I'm going to uh, be preaching on a text of Scripture that uh, is very confusing to a lot of people. There's a whole lot of confu- uh, confusion uh, about this particular text of Scripture. There's some of those texts of Scripture that uh, some folks would say are controversial. They're not really controversial. It's just some folks... Uh, you know, maybe aren't interpreting them exactly as the Word of God tells us to interpret them. And, uh, and, and then some that are just outright confusing, right? What in the world does that mean? What in the world is Jesus talking about uh, right here in uh, this particular text of Scripture? And so I've heard all kinds of different things about that. We'll talk about a few of those things, what uh, some folks say that this means, uh, but that is not what this means. And we're going to look very clearly at the Word of God. And what is that? That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in this text of Scripture, there's only one unforgivable sin. Any other sin that we commit within our life, it doesn't matter what it what it is. You know, I tell people often, I've, I've said this oftentimes, uh, you know, if Adolf Hitler, as wicked as he was, as vile as a person as he was, that did all kinds of evil, wicked people, two uh, things, two, even God's people, the Jewish people, God's own chosen people, even if he, the day before, the moment before, the second before, he, dev- he died, of course, you you know, uh, it's recorded that he committed suicide. But if he would have not done that and just turned to Jesus and asked Jesus into his heart to, to forgive him of all of the sin that he's ever committed, you know what? Even as wicked and vile and evil of a person that he was, Jesus would have absolutely forgiven him of every single sin that he had ever committed within his entire life. Amen. And, and, and so I can't fully comprehend that. I can't fully you know, see eye to eye to that. But that's the grace of God. Amen. That is the amazing grace of God as we begin to understand that. But Jesus does say right here in this text of Scripture, let's go ahead and read it. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 31. Jesus himself says right here, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it should be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. That's serious business right there, isn't it? Because remember, it's sin that separates us from God. It's sin that causes death. The wages of sin is death, and it's sin that is ultimately going to send us to hell. So we need to we need to make sure we know what in the world is that it is that Jesus is talking about right here because there is apparently one unforgivable sin and that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and so we need to understand what it is that Jesus is talking about in this particular text of scripture because we need to make sure that hey I have I've not participated in that and I am not uh, participating in that and so what in the world does Jesus talk talking about. And so first of all, let's begin to understand what is Jesus not talking about. Some people, and I've heard it said, I've heard it preached before, heard it taught before. Well, here it is that Jesus is talking about, uh, you know, using the Lord's name in vain. That is an unforgivable sin. So when we use the Lord's name in vain, well, Jesus himself said right there, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, right? And so it is very discouraged. It is uh, blasphemous. It is outright wrong to use 
use the name of the Lord in vain in whatever form, in whatever way in which you're going to use the name of the Lord in vain. It is outright wrong. It is breaking the commandments. And it is blasphemy towards God. It is dishonoring God. It is dishonoring the name of our Lord and Jesus, uh, Savior Jesus Christ. It is dishonoring God in and of Himself. And so we certainly do not need to participate. We do not need to tolerate that in any single way shape and form i can tolerate a lot of things but when i hear folks starting to curse the name of god i want you to understand boy that just begins to make my skin crawl amen and so uh we don't need to do that but obviously that's not what this is talking about i've heard people say well when we uh you know we call preachers that are uh true preachers, true men of God, true teachers, true uh, true theologians that are tre- teaching the truth of God's Word. When we say uh, that they are uh, false teachers or false preachers, preachers or heretical, uh, you know, the, the reality is that that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, when we look at the world which we live in today, especially with social media, everybody's a heretic. Amen. I mean, everybody. Everybody under the son. Billy Graham's a heretic. You know, uh, all of them. You, you can name them all. Everybody at one point and the other has been called a heretic. I've been called a heretic. I've been called a false preacher uh, before. And so, you know, I've got thick skin. I can handle that. And so we do need to be careful, though, when we're talking about people. We need to make sure if we're going to call somebody a heretic, if we're going to accuse somebody of being a false teacher, we need to make sure we've got scripture to line that, uh, to back that up. Amen. We need to make sure we know exactly uh, what we are talking about. And so uh, I believe there are repercussions that we need to uh, keep in mind. But Jesus said right here, again in verse 32, he says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. And uh, But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. The verse right above that, Jesus said, therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. So Jesus says, not talking about, he's not talking about himself. He's not talking about other people. He's specifically here talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, they're led by the Spirit and say they're led by the Spirit. And, you know, some people say, well, it's the denial of the Word of God. It's saying that God's Word is not true. And it's, and so it's outright denial of God's Word. Certainly the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God makes that uh, very clear. And we need to be careful when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, we, we need to be careful when it comes to the Word of God. We need to understand that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Amen. I get a kick out of folks say, well, that Scripture is not for us anymore. Oh, really? It did have an original context. It did have an original audience, original hearing that had an original meaning just like uh, you know second chronicles 7 14 was there for the time of the dedication of that brand new temple of solomon's temple but we could still apply the principles if my people who are called by my name humble themselves were to humble themselves and pray and we should pray and seek god's face we should seek god's face and turn from our wicked ways now when it comes to the healing of the land god's not talking about the united states of america right he's talking about israel he was talking about that particular uh time and instance and so as we begin to understand that yes we need to hold things into context 
Another interesting thing. I've never had this happen to me before, but I've heard it happening. Heard other pastors talking about this. You know, oh man, all those, all those praise choruses and all that, all that stuff's of the devil. And we've got all these praise choruses and all this contemporary stuff and all these things. All that stuff's of the devil. And you know, I heard a music minister. Uh, somebody came up to the music minister after the service, and they, uh, you know, get a kick out of this because this is a song uh, Brother Keith leads us in a lot. And uh, by the way. It's song I love greatly, uh, but they come and say, man, that song's just up the devil, all these repeated, all these repeated words, that song's up the devil, said, so, oh, you think that song's up the devil, yeah, that song's up the devil, well, would you turn with me to Psalm chapter 42 and read that for me, okay, I'll read Psalm chapter 42 and verse 1, as the deer panteth for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, oh, that's in the Bible, yeah, that's straight out of the Bible, we're singing the word of God right here, right, so that is obviously not of the devil, right well would that be considered blasphemy of the holy spirit no that's just considered ignorance right there you know when we begin to uh, we begin to understand that and so yeah it comes straight out a lot of these praise courses just come straight out of the bible and we're singing the psalms just like the bible by the way tells us to do to sing sing the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs uh, as we're as we're called to do and so as we recognize that i love that song though uh, as the deer uh for the water and so um when we begin to think about it, so there's a lot of things all of these things is not what blasphemy of the holy spirit is but something that i think is very important that we need to apply to all scripture is we need to keep scripture in its context when we come to a particular scripture and we're like what in the world <clears throat> does that mean what is the meaning of that particular scripture then we need to start holding it into its context as we do all scripture we need to do this for every single scripture in other words we need to look forward a little bit okay what did jesus say right before this maybe we need to look behind it a little bit what did jesus say or anywhere in the bible doesn't matter where it is in the bible we need to look before it a little bit or maybe a whole lot and start studying what was being talked about right there in that particular scripture and what was being talked about right after that particular scripture that way we can make sure that we are uh, interpreting the Word of God accurately. We are rightly dividing God's Word. So what it was going on in this particular time when Jesus felt it necessary for Him to address the people and say, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven forgiven so if you blaspheme the holy spirit it's not going to be forgiven you and you need to understand this well right before this in verse 22 the bible says right there then a demon possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to jesus and and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw and the crowds were amazed and were saying this man cannot be the son of david can he? And, and so now here is a time in Jesus' life when a lot of people are starting to follow Jesus, right? It's right around the middle of Jesus' ministry. All kinds of people are starting to follow Jesus. He's getting great crowds that are coming after him. And now they're saying stuff like, 
Can this be the son of David? What does that mean? That means, is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? Is this the anointed one? Is this the one that has long been prophesied? Could this possibly be him? Now they're starting to question. Now they're starting to wonder, can this truly be the Christ? Can this truly be the anointed one? Can this truly be the one that has been prophesied of old? And so as they're saying this among Amongst themselves, the Bible says in verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man cast out demon by Beelzebub and, and the ruler of the demons. Okay. First of all, who's Beelzebub? The Bible tells us right there. It gives us the, uh, it goes in and tells the ruler of the, the, the demons, right? The chief ruler of all the demons. So this man, no, he's not the Christ. Y'all quieting down all that foolishness. Y'all quieting down all of that foolish talk. He's, he's not the Christ. He's not the son of David. He is not the Messiah. He's not the... No. He's actually the opposite. He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Beelzebub. That's who he is. So y'all stop believing all of this nonsense. Stop believing all of this foolishness that he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the long prophesied one. No, he is the opposite. He casts out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And then Jesus goes on to tell them, that's about the goofiest thing I've ever heard. He didn't say it exactly like this. He's a little more gracious with them than I would have probably been. It, it, and, and then he tells them this, it says in verse 40, uh, 25, he says, And knowing the thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If by Beelzebub, uh, if I by Beelzebub cast out demons... By whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they say, they, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the, God, the kingdom of God has come up on you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off the property unless he first binds up the strong man and then he will plunder his house? So in essence, Jesus said, that's about the silliest thing I've ever heard, right? He didn't flat out say that, but he then gave this illustration. He said, you know, if I, by the power of Beelzebub, casting out demons, then, you know, that's a kingdom that's divided. Satan's casting out Satan, right? That makes as much sense as the centurion telling his hundred soldiers to gather in formation. And then once they gather in formation, they just kind of turn around and everybody start jugging uh, each other with their spears. And let's just all take each other out because by doing this, we're going to show the, the enemy how strong we are. That's goofy. Right? It doesn't make a bit of sense it, 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 that, that uh, if Satan is casting out Satan, he's defeating himself, he's tearing down his own army, he's tearing down his own kingdom, and a kingdom divided against itself is not going to stand. But, he says, 
if I am coming and I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is truly come. The kingdom of God is truly here. You see, when you begin to recognize this, you begin to understand this, he goes on in verse 33. He says, uh, he, he says um, verse 30, I'm sorry. But, uh, for who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So the kingdom's going to be divided, and it's going to be divided this way. Either you're going to be with me, or you're going to be against me. Either you're going to follow me, are you going to be scattered? Because obviously what I'm doing is not by Beelzebub. Obviously what I'm doing is by the Spirit of God. But here's the kicker. I think the Pharisees knew that. I think they knew it. I think they knew, they understood the fact that Jesus truly was of God. I believe they knew it. I believe they, the things that He were doing. Now, whether or not they were fully convinced of whether or not He was the Messiah, whether or not believed He really was the Son of David, maybe they're not, well, they weren't fully convinced of that yet, but I do believe that they understood, they knew that the reason Jesus had the power and ability to do the things that He was doing is because God was doing those things through Him. See, they weren't willing to openly confess that. And they certainly weren't willing to humble themselves to the point of saying, Jesus, we're going to be your follower. We're going to follow you. We're going to be considered your disciple. No, they wanted people to be their disciples. They wanted people to follow them. They wanted people to be uh, their followers to where they were getting all of the attention. In fact, Jesus himself confronted them and he said that you're sons of hell and you're going out and, and you're making disciples that are twice as much a son of hell as you are. And so they were in that business of making disciples, but unfortunately they were making disciples that weren't pointing people to God. They were making disciples that were pointing people away away from God. So when we begin to understand that and we hold it into today's picture, we hold it into today's context, we ask ourselves the question, well, what is the, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you truly know that Jesus is of God. You truly know that Jesus is Lord. You truly know that the gospel message of the sinless life that Jesus Christ lived, that ultimately led Him to the cross of Calvary, that ultimately led Him to the shedding of His blood, which produces the remission of sin, which ultimately led to His death, then ultimately led to His resurrection three days later. You know that. You understand that. You fully believe every single aspect of the gospel. You have it all all right here and you believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that it is absolutely true
true, every bit of it, it is true, but yet you still have not come to the point to where you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ because you're more in love with you than you are with Jesus. Because that's where the Pharisees were. They realized he was from God. They knew he was from God. They understood that. But see, they they loved their life. They loved their false facade of righteousness. They loved their honor by men and their respect by men. They loved the fact that people, maybe they weren't flocking to them like they were flocking to Jesus, but they at least had a few. And they loved that. You know, some folks are going to go to hell because not because they don't believe the gospel is because they love their sinful life a lot more than they love the, uh, the idea of repenting and turn, turning to Jesus. Amen? They're a lot more in love with themselves than they are of the person of Jesus Christ himself. So do I have to repent to be saved? Well, Jesus said the very first message that Jesus uh, preached, in fact, we talked about it in Sunday school, He said, repent and believe the gospel. And so something we need to understand, the act of repentance is not an act of, 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 of salvation. Repentance in and of, it all, of, in and of itself is not going to save you. What is repentance? Repentance is a turning away from sin. It's the actual turning to Jesus that's going to save you. Amen? It's the turning to Jesus that saves you. So you repent, you turn away from your sins, and you turn to Jesus. Well, why is that? It's because I believe the gospel. So really, when Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, really, that is one step. That that is three separate aspects of that one step, but it is really one step. Because I believe the gospel, I'm going to repent and I'm going to turn to Jesus, right? Now, it's not just sin management. Some folks are into sin management, so I'm just going to turn away from my sin. And if I clean my act up, I straighten up my ways, I get all this garbage out of my life, I clean out my closets, and I throw everything away, then I'm going to be perfectly okay. No, you're not. In fact, you're going to end up being a lot worse off than you were in the first place because it is the turning to Jesus who can, first of all, forgive you of your sins and then not only forgive you of your sins, but keep you away from those future sins. It is only Jesus who can do that. But what you have to do is you have to humble yourself before Jesus. And there's so many people that are just unwilling to do that. See, I believe the truths about Jesus. I believe the Christmas story, and I believe the Easter story, and I believe all that stuff. And man, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been told throughout my life, oh, I've heard all those things all my life. Well, that's great. It's wonderful that you have all that stuff up here. But what's Jesus doing in here? Amen? 
Well, you've got all kinds of head knowledge about Jesus. You can quote John 3.16. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You can quote John 3.16. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a wonderful thing. And, you know, we're training our kids here in Awana to quote that's verse first they start off with right there. John 3.16. Amen. And that's a wonderful thing. We want that to be ingrained with them. It's very, very important. But if all it is is right here for the rest of their life and it never penetrates right here, then what good? is it if I know that Jesus died on the cross to save from sins but I never actually turn to Jesus and allow him to save me from my sin what good is he to me amen what good is Jesus to me so when we begin to think about that I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 26 Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. Child, I really believe, you know, we, we talk about folks. I love to talk about evangelism. I love to teach, preach about evangelism. I love to talk about how we need to share the gospel with other people. Written a book about evangelism, how beautiful are the feet. And, and I, I enjoy doing that. And in my experience of sharing the gospel, you know, it's not that difficult to share the gospel with an atheist or an agnostic. It's not that difficult to share the gospel with somebody that's of, of another religion because every other religion other than Christianity, you can get them on this one thing. They believe they can get saved by their good works and the Word of God very clearly tells you, no, you can't. So just stick with that one point. It is by grace, through faith, and out of works. Amen? But the lost church member that is lost, they're a member of a church. They walk down an aisle. They have been baptized. They've gone through all of the motions and maybe even they still come to church. And I'm not trying to point anybody out because I don't know who you are. The lost church member is the single most difficult person to reach for the gospel. Most times they're lost and they don't even know they're lost. Now straighten my act up. I've gotten all that junk out of my life. And I believe all that stuff about Jesus. But I've never really surrendered to Jesus. I've never really committed myself to Jesus. So as we look here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, kind of some scary words. They're not kind of, absolutely some scary words right here in this text of Scripture. It says right here, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Now, first of all, I want you to understand that this text of Scripture and nowhere in the Bible 
talks about or teaches in any way, shape, or form a sinless perfection. In other words, once you are saved, you, you will no longer sin again. In, in fact, you know, we find, we find Paul rebuking Peter for being hypocritical about dealing with the Jews one way and dealing with the Gentiles another way. Paul, dealing with Peter, right? The leaders of the church, as we begin to think about that. So nowhere in the Bible is, in in, in fact, as we look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse uh, 9, as the Bible says right there, confess your sins before him and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Who is John talking to? He's calling them his brethren. He's making reference to the fact that they're saved, right? But here it is, as we look back in Hebrews, there's this sense that there is not a slipping back into sin, but there has never, ever, ever at any time been any repentance of sin. Verse 26, it says, if we go on sinning willfully, in other words, we've never actually repented, we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. You'll have to stop right there too. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, they have received the knowledge of the truth. They have heard the gospel. They understand the gospel. They know the gospel. They could probably even share the gospel. Amen? They know it right here. They've got it right here. They've got it down pat. Boy, they've heard that stuff all their life. They could quote it. They know it. They understand it. They, 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 they've got it right here. but it never sunk down to right here. And for that reason, they don't have any desire to follow Jesus. They have no reason to turn from their sins. They have no reason to turn from their flesh. They have no reason to turn from their worldly ways and start pursuing Jesus. They just have a head knowledge of Him. They have no desire in their heart whatsoever. The world might look at them and say, hey, there's some pretty good folks. There's some pretty good people. They're not, you know, these outcasts of the world doing all these, you know, phenomenally wicked things. But in their heart of heart, they have absolutely no desire to pursue Jesus within their everyday life. They might come to church every once in a while. They might might even be faithful. Hey, they might even stand up behind the pulpit and preach. I know some pastors that while pastors got saved. Amen? I'd be doing all kinds of stuff. As soon as they walk out of those doors, they, they're, not, they're not living for Jesus. They have no desire whatsoever to live for Jesus. They're living for them. And everything within their life points to them. None of it points to Jesus. Now maybe every once in a while they'll give Jesus his due. Every once in a while, maybe, you know, things aren't going all that great. So maybe, maybe every once in a while they'll pray. Maybe every once in a while they'll say, thank you, Lord. 
But the whole of their life is not about Jesus. <laughs> you know what Jesus said more than he said any other thing? He said, follow me. Follow me. I want to ask you something this morning. Are you following Jesus? I didn't ask you if you came down the aisle one time. I didn't ask you if you repeated a prayer after a pastor one time. I didn't ask you if you're baptized. I didn't ask you if your name's on a church roll somewhere. I didn't ask you if you do this, that, or the other within the church. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ, yes or no? I didn't ask you if you come to Sunday's uh, services. I didn't ask you if you tithe. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I am married to Dale Morrell Coon. That is my wife. That is my bride. We've been married 32 years. I think. All right, 32 years. I had to think about that for a second. That means that impacts and affects every single decision that I make. Every single thing that I do within my life is identified with the fact that I am married to her. And I don't do it begrudgingly. I don't say, well, I'd like to do that, but I'm married. No, I love her. The longer I've been married to her, the more I love her. Amen? Amen. And even if we just had an argument, a disagreement, I still don't go out and say, hey, well, I'm just going to go out and do my own thing now. See, your life ought to be identified in the person of Jesus Christ, not identified in you, not identified in this world, not identified in anything else, but identified in the fact that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are a believer of Jesus Christ because you have invited Jesus Christ into your life. You have humbled yourself and allowed Jesus Christ to come into your life and do a work within your life. You are now a believer in Jesus Christ. That means God lives within you. That means the Holy Spirit lives within you. That means God's doing something within your life you cannot tell me you cannot convince me biblically or otherwise that the God who spoke heaven and earth into existence is living inside of you and you remain the same you cannot you will not doesn't mean we don't slip off from time to time it doesn't mean that we don't Retreat from time to time. It certainly doesn't mean that we're all of a sudden perfect. <laughs> but it does mean that God's at work within my life. Amen? See, the Pharisees had no desire whatsoever to humble themselves and pursue Jesus. 
So as we look at that text of Scripture one more time in Hebrews, here it is, it says, For if we go on sinning willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, so we've heard the gospel, we know the gospel, there no longer remains a sacrifice. Well, where, why does there no longer remain the sac- a sacrifice? Because Jesus is the one and only sacrifice and you rejected Him. You said no to Him. That doesn't mean that you can't get saved later. You only ever have one opportunity to get saved. But right now you've rejected the sacrifice. And there is no other sacrifice. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him and he goes on and says but what you can expect in verse 27 but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of the fire which will consume the adversary that's some terrifying stuff right there isn't it that's what you can expect let me ask you any pleasures of this earth worth forsaking Jesus over? No. And that's the negative side. The good side is far greater. Amen? Verse 28 says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of the two or three witnesses. If you've forsaken the law, guess what? You're done in. No, we're not saved by the law, we're saved by grace. Yeah, well, that's right. Verse 29, how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. Trampled underfoot the Son of God. Insulted the Spirit of grace. He blasphemed the Holy Spirit. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people This, I believe, right here is the most terrifying verse in the Word of God. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. By rejecting Jesus and pursuing the world, you are trampling The blood of Jesus Christ. By rejecting Jesus and pursuing your own fleshly desires, you are insulting the Spirit of grace. And oh, God wants to give you grace. Even Adolf Hitler, it doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter what you have done, doesn't matter where you have been doesn't matter how wickedly you acted. You turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me, it's done. It is done. It is wiped out. Your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. 
we have this big movement going on across America. Kind of got started in the universities, but it's kind of spreading everywhere. It's called D Church. I don't know if any of you heard of that. Folks who have been raised in church their whole life have not seen any authenticity. Folks who are genuinely walking with Jesus. They're therefore declared Christianity is dead. Walking away. I praise God for the authenticity that we have amongst so many of our folks here. I mean, just outright authenticity. As a pastor, I probably get to see it more than some of you do, but praise God for it. Let me ask you today, do you have an authentic walk with Jesus? Or are you just putting up a Sunday go to meet in front? No desire to really live for Jesus, but I don't mind coming to the club on Sunday morning and acting the part. Again, I can't say who it is and who it isn't. Lost church members are the most difficult people to reach. But if that's you today, Listen, there still remains a sacrifice for you, but you have to accept him. He's the only way. The more you reject him, you read Romans chapter 1, and he gave them over, and he gave them over, and he gave them over. Finally, God will say, hey, you want to go that way? You go that way, and you reap the consequences of it. Today, if you feel God tugging at your heart, maybe that's me. That is the Holy Spirit at work within your life. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you push Him away and you say no and you reject the only sacrifice for your sin. That's why there's no forgiveness of it. Because you have rejected it. as Brother Keith and the praise team make their way on up this direction will you stand with me this morning if you're here today say Brother Rusty I am not genuinely walking with Jesus Putting on a front. Got it all right here. I understand it. I know it. But I have never come to that place. Maybe I've gone through all the motions. But I've never really come to the place in my life where I've truly given myself over to the Lord. I mean, I got the turning away from the sin part but I never truly turned all the way to Jesus. 
that trusted in Him and believed in Him. Is that you today? Church, would you pray like you've never prayed before that not one lost soul would leave here without knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Would you do that right now? Start right now. Unless God's dealing with you about something else, would you pray that this morning? But if that's you today, that you know that this message was intended for you, this message was intended for you this morning, would you come? I'm not going to ask anybody but Brother Keith and Sister Kim to sing. I want everybody else to either be responding or praying. You come right now as God stirs your heart. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Nobody looking around. I think God is moving powerfully right now. And if you don't have something on your heart, pray for somebody around you. God will move this morning. Let's pray. Church, move. Pray for somebody.